0: Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. I'm Dr. Chris Tucker from the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and founding editor of the podcast. Today on the podcast, we are discussing the current state of surgical work reimbursement and the fee system under which orthopedic surgeons deliver care. I'm humbled and honored to be joined in this discussion by two familiar leaders in the field of orthopedic sports medicine, Drs. Lewis McIntyre and Bill Beach. Not only are both of these men past presidents of the Arthroscopy Association, but they are also diligent advocates on the behalf of orthopedic surgeons in the realm of billing and coding reimbursement and fair business practice. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris.
1: Thanks, great to be with you, Chris.
0: Doctors McIntyre and Beach, you jointly authored an editorial commentary in the Arthroscopy Journal titled A Rigged Game: Surgeon Reimbursement Under the Resource-Based Relative Value System, Current Procedural Terminology, and the Affordable Care Act. First of all, congratulations on the commentary and thank you for your ongoing efforts to advocate for all orthopedic surgeons. I'm hoping today we can highlight some important aspects of the debate and gain some better insight into the issues at hand facing all orthopedic surgeons. In that light, Dr. McIntyre, can you start us off by leveling the playing field and briefly defining for us the current state of affairs with respect to surgeon reimbursement, government policy, and the definition of value under the resource-based relative value scale?
1: Uh, Sure, Chris. And unfortunately, it's not a level playing field. RBRVS, that you talk about the resource-based relative value scale, was instituted after an act of Congress in uh, 1989 and was put into full utilization in 1992. So we've been at it now for uh, you know almost 30 years. And the stated goal of RBRVS was to actually um, level the reimbursement levels between the cognitive fields of medicine, and the procedural side of medicine. So I guess you'd have to say that in that regard, it's been a uh, resounding success. Unfortunately, uh, it uh, doesn't lead to a level playing field, and uh, we don't think recognizes the inherent value of what surgical skills bring to uh, to the field of healthcare and to wellness for patients in the United States. In addition, certain things have happened over the last 25, 26 years that have uh, accelerated that trend. These mostly have come out of CMS in regards to certain policies they've initiated in regards to decreased surgeon, surgical reimbursements for uh, high volume Medicare-type procedures, and also then the use of bundling techniques where certain procedures are deemed to be reported enough times together that they should really be one procedure, and you can only you should only get, get paid basically for one code. This has led to an actual about 40% decrease in the absolute value of certain surgical codes since uh, 1992. And if you look at the comparison in uh, 1992 dollars, it's actually closer to 60%. So this is what uh, we're confronted with. And um, we've figured out ways to get around that, but at some point in time, it's going to be impossible, especially as certain aspects of these procedures move forward. As we alluded to in the article, I think the goal will be eventually to make the time spent doing whatever doctors do the same. So they already consider the value of our time and that of everyone else in medicine to be the same. So my time is the same as a pediatrician's, is the same as an internist's. But eventually what will happen is that all those time values will be the same so that at At some point in time, it will be more economically feasible to stay in the office all day than to go to the operating room. That, I think, is the end game of these policies.
0: A sad reality. Dr. Beach, now that we have a better understanding of the baseline parameters, can you explain for us why you titled this commentary a rigged game?
2: Well, I agree 100% with Lou. We have almost no input. You know, we argue. So... We faced a kind of disappointing ruling by CMS that the sur- that the shoulder was one anatomic site, and we sent had to send a dozen letters. We made three trips to CMS to talk to them in person, despite the fact that there are anatomic parts of the body which are obviously way smaller than the shoulder which are not deemed one anatomic site, CMS deemed one anatomic site. So we battled and battled and battled to try to get it to get corrected. And it was not until almost two years ago, and we probably fought that for 10 years, did we, did we finally get them to say that the shoulder was not one anatomic site. So interestingly, then what happened was, then they decided, okay, if it's not gonna be one anatomic site, we're basically gonna to start to bundle codes together. So like Lou mentioned, if a code's done 50% of the time with another code, then it it runs the risk that it will be bundled in with that other code. So we have seen a acromioplasty go to a add-on code. We have seen extensive and, and limited debridement now being research, re-surveyed to see if we can bring the value down to those so my point to lou was that you know it, this doesn't happen anywhere else in society we'll use a common example so if you go to a restaurant let's say a hamburger a well-known hamburger spot and get get a combination meal you still have to pay for all the combos even though you get them at a discount what CMS and the insurance companies want us to do is they want all of the, the meal, they want to pay for the hamper, They don't want to pay for anything else other than the main index code, which to me is basically just robbing us of our intellectual property and our work. For instance, how many codes are there? We have quite a few you know, CPT codes for arthroscopic surgery. If you do more than one, you, you basically give them a 50 percent discount. Or sometimes some of the insurance companies now are taking a 65 percent discount, because you're done at the same time. So why would they be bundled together? They're individual procedures. Whether you do them frequently together or infrequently together, it's still work. And it's unfair, and it's rigged, and that's why we titled it a rigged game.
0: I think your McDonald's analogy to help explain this multiple procedure minimum discount rule and the bundled payments was relatable and easy for me to understand. And I think other readers, based on some feedback on social media I've seen, it clearly shows how unfair and biased against surgeons the system is. So one recommendation from your commentary was for orthopedic surgeons to take control and establish price as the value signal in medicine. Can you just help clarify for the listeners what you mean by the term value signal and how surgeons can go about redefining that?
1: Sure. So the biggest problem we face in the economic sphere of medicine is the fact that we do not have price in uh, our equation. Everybody else in the whole society does. We don't. And the reason for that is that we have a Medicare fee schedule. So basically, the government sets the fee for every medical procedure every medical encounter every medical device everything in medicine and it's all reflected in a code and medicare puts a price on it it's fixed it's price fixing tom scully who headed uh, medicare under the bush administration said that medicare was the biggest price fixing scheme on the planet uh, and that was from the administrator not from a doctor so what we have is this fee schedule that medicare has and then all the insurance companies base their reimbursement levels on that fee schedule. So it really has no relationship to reality in regards to how much it costs to bring a service to market or of what kind of inputs are there. I mean they make an attempt to do that, but it's really all just done by algorithm and it doesn't really it, it doesn't reflect market principles. So as a result, since there's no price and there's no price signal in the market, therefore what happens is we have all these other what i call price surrogates come up a price surrogate would be a way to try to limit access to care since there's no price in an attempt to have you know to supplant market forces and that would be things like pqrs vicious and quality reporting system or mips the merit-based incentive payment program or any one of another dozen alphabet soup entities uh, including EMR utilization and meaningful use. These are all used to restrict access and to try to come up with quotation mark reimbursement instead of price. If we had a price, all that other stuff would go away, right? You wouldn't need RBRBS. You wouldn't need PQRS. You wouldn't need MIPS. You wouldn't need any of this stuff uh, because everything would be done on price and we would compete not only on quality, but we would compete on price. The problem with that is that if the government were to do that, they would give up control of medicine. And that's what they really want. They want the control. They want to be able to inject themselves into the marketplace in this fashion, because in that way, they really control medicine. So I don't, see, uh, I don't foresee any time soon that what really has to happen to get price back into the equation will occur. I think rather what will happen is it will have to be a grassroots effort led by by surgeons as a workaround to let payers and patients see the value in certain new payment paradigms so that we can re-inject price into the marketplace.
0: So along the lines of these alternative payment methodologies in your commentary, bundled payments was offered as one mechanism for establishing price how exactly would that work and what potential side effects might you see there be from that and are any of them potentially negative?
1: Well, sure, I mean, uh, you know, obviously it would be a a major disruption of the way things are now. I mean, uh, many, most orthopedic surgeons have figured out how they can still make a living with RBRVS and everything else inside. So what we do is we add ancillary services and we turn our practices into high-volume focus factories, and that way we can continue to turn a profit. In most parts of the country, in some parts of the country, that's not even possible anymore. For example, where I live. So what bundled payments would do would be to, you know, establish an episode of care. Uh, orthopedics lends itself very readily to this because, you know, we have a procedure, it has a start date, it has relatively known fixed costs and complication rates, it has a recovery period, and we know the costs in that episode of care. In addition, we can mitigate for complications because we know the rates of complications for things like total joint replacement, spine, sports medicine procedures like rotator cuff repair and ACLs. So we put the costs in all the inclusive costs which would be the procedure itself the facility fee the anesthesiology fee the surgeon's fee any dme that's involved drugs etc skilled nursing facilities if you're going to use them all of that stuff and then some insurance to mitigate against complication you add that up you put a price on it and then you sell that to insurance companies or to self-insured employers which is even better because then you're going right to the source and you cut out the insurance middleman. The downside of that is once you've established the price, there's going to be negative pressure on the price because people are gonna compete on the price. But I would much rather compete on a price than I would try to set up all these machinations to try to come to reimbursement. Think of all the FTEs that any given practice employs just to manage this reimbursement machine. It's ridiculous. I mean, when you think about all the FTEs you need in your business office to manage your revenue cycle or to call insurance companies, to call patients, uh, it, it, it adds up and it's a huge uh, driver of overhead. So if we were able to have a price, then boom, you know, you, you have the procedure, you get paid, you don't have to worry about not getting paid because. You know, you didn't send in the op note or because the insurance company decided that it didn't want to pay you because it just wanted to hold on to the money. It would be, I think, much more transparent. And, you know, certainly the downside, I think, would be that uh, there would be negative pressure on that price. But, you know, it would it would then behoove us to maintain or improve quality, to, to cut costs as much as we could, and then to compete along those lines.
0: Now, some listeners may not understand the link between surgeon reimbursement and the greater issue of patient access to orthopedic services. Dr. Beach, can you help clarify that connection and why patient care delivery is at significant risk with our current system?
2: Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different examples of that, but just take I think
0: uh, one of the biggest
2: pains for orthopedic surgeons nowadays is all, all this pre-certification and this peer-to-peer. So all the peer-to-peer things that we're doing basically are a way to try to decrease our utilization of services, i.e. limit patient access to what they really need from our hands Is is surgery. For instance, so if you – dictate a note and you say that or forget to say that there's pain at the ac joint and let's say that the mri is read as modern osteoarthritis of the ac joint and you tried to bill for 29824 arthroscopic resection of the distal clavicle those will probably get denied either because the mri didn't support it or you didn't say it in your note so Bottom line is, it's getting harder. There's all kinds of small little tricks that are being developed to try to limit what we think patients need and what their access to care is. The other thing is, I, as Lou was talking, I thought, you know, all these MIPS. That is, a, I think, one of the, the greatest inventions ever, is if you want to decrease how much you got to pay an orthopedic surgeon, what would you do? Well, why don't we make a whole bunch of jobs for him to do so he can't see as many patients or she? Well, let's do MIPS. Let's do PQRS. Let's make a, make the surgeon do as many things as he can because I can tell you my ability to see patients went down about 20%. Ingenious. It was ingenious. So if you think if you look at all these things that we have to do to try to see patients and take care of patients and do... And, you know, pretty much dot all the I's and cross all the T's so we don't get in trouble with Medicare, CMS, Medicaid. These things basically are what's driving limited, what Lou would call limiting access to care. Because some of it's time, some of it's expense. The bundle payments is a good example. If you see or make a mistake on your bundle payment, and let's say you have two or three people who end up with a, an infection, end up in the, in the hospital, end up in the emergency room, you can essentially blow your bundle for an extended period of time. So you've got to be really good at it. The problem with orthopedic surgeons nowadays, in my opinion, is because it's getting more and more and more complicated, to do this and be educated and try to advocate for yourself and your patients. What's the response? Going to the system. I'm going to go work for a medical system, a healthcare system, so I don't have to battle this on my own. And I can tell you, at least in my opinion, I don't think that that's going to improve our ultimate fate in this particular endeavor in that I don't think the medic as you and this article that we're talking about, the doctor that Laprade just wrote, you know, the Met that the healthcare systems are taking care of the healthcare systems. Their payments continue to increase while ours either stay the same or decrease. So we've got a lot of conflicts here in terms of our ability to move forward. And one of the biggest conflicts I think one of the biggest problems with we, with doctors in general is is that we don't like the subject we don't really want to you know sit and look at the numbers we don't really want to be involved in in the business side of medicine but i can tell you if we aren't where what's the old saying you're not not going to be invited to the dinner you're going to be dinner
0: yeah i think you know fantastic illustrative examples which i think brings this home for everybody listening uh, truly informative discussion for me Before we close, I'd like to ask each of you, if you would, share one take-home point with respect to surgeon reimbursement and maybe what you might suggest each listener could do to help work towards a solution. Uh, Dr. McIntyre, why don't you go first?
1: Sure. Well, I I think to Bill's point, you really need to be involved in this in your own practice, uh, uh, because if you're not then you're going to be leaving uh, money on the table. There are ways to maximize your reimbursement levels uh, even inside of this system. I I think uh, this article points out very nicely that eventually, though, we're not going to be able to do that. Right? We're not going to be able to work around continuous decreased levels of reimbursement. And that's either going to do one of two things. It's either going to say, "Okay, we just won't do the procedures, i.e. limitation of care, or we're going to have to jump into systems like Bill says. Or we're going to have to change the way we practice medicine completely. For example, guys will just do sur- some guys just do surgery all day, and some guys just see patients all day. It's going to come to some type of you know fork in the road. So I think that while there's still a rather robust private practice of medicine in the United States, about you know, still about 40% of our AOS brethren are, are in a private practice mode they need to start to think about ways of getting away from rbrvs coding and these type of maneuvers and and i think the bundled payment op- option offers a good one now now it's not it, it's not the bundled payments that you hear about through cjr which is which is run by the hospital and which is dictated and mandated by cms that program is never going to work for orthopedic surgeons i'm talking about bundled payment programs that are designed, implemented, and run by orthopedic surgeons out of their practices, and that are negotiated by orthopedic surgeons with payers uh, and employers. That works, and there's all sorts of places all over the country that works brilliantly, especially in the total joint market. If you look at the literature on this, uh, it's pretty clear. Not only is it better for patients with with better outcomes and decreased complications, it's better for costs and it's better for the orthopedic surgeon because they have a higher profit.
0: Dr. Beach, any closing thoughts?
2: So, yeah, I I think we kind of, as orthopedic surgeons, need to kind of either get in the game or get out of the game. And to get in the game, you've got to get dedicated to the subject matter. I can't tell you how many times Lou and I have been, you know, teach a course and ask how many people look at their EOBs, and it's almost zero. So, unfortunately, we aren't educated enough to be good battlers for our own patients and our own practices. You know, we we don't look at our business. We don't look at our income, you know, statements. We don't look at, you know, explanation of benefits so we know what, you know, the patients are even charged for. We don't know what the surgery center gets reimbursed. We don't know what our practice gets reimbursed. We don't know what our costs are. And so what i would say is is that we need to probably as societies as the academy do a better job educating the young guys who you know are i think so busy trying to be good doctors that they don't have time or energy to to be businessmen and then they get to be you know 60 like lou and i are and we're frustrated and irritated that it's been a rigged game that we've been involved in for 30 years so my ask would be that we get more focused on the business side and that we societies, subspecies societies, including the academy, start to push the subject matter. Otherwise, we're going to continue to lose like we have for the last 30 years.
0: Great. Thank you both again so much for sharing your time and thoughts with us today. I commend you both for being our educators and our advocates. And I join you in encouraging everyone invested in the practice of orthopedics to get smart on this for all of our benefit. Doctors McIntyre and Beach, thank you again for joining us. Thanks, Thanks, Chris, and thanks for a great job you do on the podcast. Dr. McIntyre and Dr. Beach's commentary titled A Rigged Game, Surgeon Reimbursement Under the Resource-Based Relative Value System, Current Procedural Terminology, and the Affordable Care Act can be found in the Arthroscopy Journal, which is available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.